Hey, welcome back to Safe Talk with Safe Start. I'm Tim Page Bodarf, and today we're going to continue to look at Safe Start's six success factors. And you'll find our white paper from Dr. Pandora Bryce and our fellow senior consultant Peter Batroni in the show notes. But specifically today, we're going to take a look into systems and data. And joining me to help me unpack all of this is fellow senior consultant, Mr. Chris Ross. Chris, welcome back to the podcast, buddy. Hey, great for having me. Thanks, Tim. Great to catch up. Uh, so, again, I placed the white paper down in the show notes, but the reason why I asked Chris here today is to take a deeper dive into the systems and data portion of that paper and some of the other key elements related to the climate success factor. So, Chris, this portion really focuses on how kind of to reinforce both the individual learning loop and the organizational learning loop by learning from reporting, which is, you know, usually with discussion and team input and analysis, and also integrating human factors, concepts, and measurement in the systems. You want to expand on that? Yeah, I, I'm excited to, Tim. There's a lot of, of support for the importance of systems in the literature to prevent unintentional errors that can lead to injuries and or subpar business performance because we know errors and mistakes is a big deal and just a natural part of things a human factors approach acknowledges that not all mistakes are intentional deviations from standards some are just based on how our brain works the natural neurological functions in humans can sometimes reduce our awareness of risk under pressure like rushing and frustration, our brains genuinely don't remember rules or processes in a moment of high risk. So there's additional internal factors in play as well. So the neuroscience research has confirmed, unfortunately, that human memory, and especially explicit memory, which relies on storage and retrieval mechanisms in the medial temporal lobe, I love the geeky part of this, of the brain, is complex and frequently unreliable. The nature of our brain underlies the ongoing importance for not only having systems, but also preparing workers with tools for managing high-risk situations and especially upset conditions. We also need to provide opportunities for workers to evaluate their own mistakes, so critical, especially those caused by their own human factors. Yeah, that's right. You know, I was just having a conversation with Larry, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I've got Larry's Larry Wilson for our for our listeners. I got Larry speaking into my brain quite often and I can actually hear him based on what you just said. The human brain is not a fail-safe device. And I'll end that with air quotes. So if you guys can see me it's air quotes but you can't. So to counter that philosophy though and you know I've heard Larry talk about this quite frequently too is that the aviation industry is a perfect example of using sort of operational checklists or systems, if you will. And even more importantly, realizing that there needs to be a culture in which crew members actually use the checklists. It's kind of a norm. I mean, something that they do in everyday situations. It's not just when there's an emergency, but they also have also, uh, they kind of developed crew resource management, which is a very interesting concept in what you just said. Yeah, it's it's interesting you bring up aviation, Tim. This industry has done a lot to attempt to limit the effects of human error on performance. 
checklists, creating a no-blame environment, developing better crew resource management, all designed to address human factors and safety. And it's it's not just aviation, but NASA as well has done a lot. It's, it's not the checklist alone that produces performance reliability. Rather, it's the recognition amongst pilots that they're fallible and can make mistakes. And we know we've, we've made millions of mistakes in our lifetime. It's the commitment not to operate from memory because human memory, as we've just talked about, is not reliable. Most importantly, it's having a system of two people cooperate in working through and cross-checking each critical task. So the checklist is used with thought and not just pencil whipped. And man, have we ever seen pencil whip checklists before, right? So another really successful strategy is no fault or no blame. This database was put together um, by the FAA. It's called the Aviation Safety Reporting Program. It's completely anonymous and non-punitive, allowing aviators to report unintentional safety incidents without repercussion. Based on the NASA program, report intake has grown tremendously. And in 2022, there were 8,000 reports a month. Man, that's the ultimate no-blame environment we all hope to achieve. The aviation industry also gives us a great model for the rest of us called course management, which is a three-step process to teach the five factors, communication, situational awareness, decision-making, teamwork, and barriers that compromise safety, especially as it relates to human factors. You said something that made me laugh about pencil whipped uh, checklists and inspections. And there's one common human factor that drives most pencil whipped inspections and that's that complacency component so um i'm going to relate this to what you just said i i I learned from a a really wise man a long long time ago when i first got my boat so in regards to towing that boat he actually said to me and this is another quote do a complete walk around like a pilot would before take off and make sure you check for everything and so the framework as it was designed it has two loops an organizational learning loop, and an individual learning loop. And so on the organizational side, we make a distinction between technical and people systems, sort of like I did with the boat. Can you explain that a little bit better? Yeah, absolutely. You know, technical systems tend to be pretty well supported, documented, everybody gets it. Typically, there's both an investment and attention to technical systems for engineering, work projects, processes, equipment, maintenance, safety management systems. They're tracked, they're measured, they're well-developed, they're mature, they're, they're, they're followed. On the other hand, while people systems are a large part of any organization, there may or may not be as much awareness of what these systems are, how to improve them, nor some potential unintentional human factors impacts on individuals. They can include practices on how people and teams work together, how information is communicated, expectations for supervisors interacting with their people, feedback, culture and climate elements, psychological safety, and much more. Those are all really critical components of people systems. And in many cases, these are nowhere near as robust or as measured as the technical systems are. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I spent some time with our research team in psychological safety, and that's just a feeling. And if you want to talk about feelings, Amy Edmondson said it's a feeling that you get that you can work in an environment. 
And so with the regard to the research team, we've also found several examples of studies that show that safety climate and, and of course, organizational culture are heavily dependent on having effective people systems. And it seems that when you're talking about people systems, there's actually a chance it could turn into what you referred to before, the name, blame, and shame game. Yeah, that you know that's why this no blame mindset is so critical, and the paper addresses that along uh, with our approach to climate success factors. A global business developed a program to reduce serious injuries and fatalities (SIFs), right? And and as we know, and and is shocking to me, SIFs are on the rise. We're on a 10-year increase of serious injury and fatality. And the basic premise of the program was to encourage everybody to identify high-value near-miss or PSIFs or potential for SIFs and investigate them and determine the root causes and precursors. Sounds great. It was a requirement of the program to inform senior management within eight hours of high-potential near-misses. When the program started, as the high potential near misses were reported, an executive leader would call the local leadership and scold them for the incidents, even when no one was hurt. This blame climate, as you can guess, immediately reduced the reporting of high potential near misses, thereby eliminating the learning opportunities, all those free-for-looking opportunities. So leadership only heard when people got hurt. A new leader assumed responsibility in the climate change. The high potential near misses were celebrated and leaders called them, quote unquote, golden nuggets, learning opportunities, right? And this climate led to more high value near misses being fed into the organizational learning loop and allowed the system meaningful insights regarding those precursors. And the outcome was a dramatic reduction in serious injuries and fatalities. So that no blame mindset was just really critical. You know, as humans, we all make mistakes. And I, I love it. In in Safe Start Now, you know, we, we've got a little exercise where we ask people to identify how many mistakes they've made. We've made billions. And if we can learn from those mistakes, Below the line where it's free for looking, we get such valuable information. And one of the most important parts is that statistically, very few near misses or recordables, for that matter, actually have SIF potential. So the whole concept of near miss reporting or discussions can start to have a lot of positive impact in the individual learning loop. Um, great point. And I will suggest that the more reporting that you get, it might produce more results. And so don't be scared at the potential of first aids and don't be scared at the potential of, of further reporting injuries because the more reporting you get, the more information that you get. So that's an incredible point. And this whole concept of normalizing that discussion around human factors and even mistakes is a, is kind of a way to get better. And is exactly what the AVA, the aviation industry, as we were talking about before, has found. And I think a lot of our customers, they're using that as well. And so, Chris, earlier you mentioned about how reporting can affect the individual learning loop. Can you expand on that? 
Well, sure, Tim. For for years, organizations have tried really hard to increase near-miss reporting, right? We see that in, in almost every place we go with varying degrees of success. And I've been advocating what I call dual-path near-miss reporting for years. For the SIF potential incidents and the near-misses that require an organizational fix, let's report and investigate. Let's put that into the organizational learning loop. But for those thousands of little bobbles and errors that only take place in the self area, let's just discuss them to access those lessons for ourselves that are free for looking. It's just purely in the individual learning loop where that value takes place. And, you know, we're all familiar with some of the myths we all grew up with in the safety profession. One of them was some flawed conclusions by Heinrich, who proposed the relationship of 129 to 300. He drew the conclusion that by reducing the number of minor incidents, companies would see a correlating fall in major incidents. And the whole theory was if you reduce the number of minor injuries and near misses, you would automatically reduce the more serious major injuries and fatalities. <laughs> so the correlation conclusion, which, of course, you and I know, um, has been widely disproven. And in many contemporary studies regarding SIFs, the prevention of SIFs and the data that shows a lack of correlation between serious events and minor events together. In fact, <clears throat> the most widely report, uh, reported data, it actually indicates that around 21% of recordables have SIF potential. And presumably, the number of very minor near misses would be much fewer. Unfortunately, the number of SIF events have been flatlined for the past decade. And so, Chris, what do you think? Well, yeah, so we've debunked one part of Heinrich, which is the correlation factor. But what I do like about the triangle, and it does accurately depict or illustrate, is there's more events at the bottom than there is at the top. And, and that's why I like it as an illustrative viewpoint. And all those near misses, close calls, and at-risk behaviors that are free for the looking give us opportunities to learn from our own mistakes, not necessarily learning from others, but learning from ourselves. And interestingly, we can only access those if we talk about them out loud and share them. So there's a lot of barriers in the way for, for workers to report near misses. Um, could be a cumbersome form or process. Oftentimes, there's a fear of, of blame or embarrassment. At the least, there's unwanted attention and questions. And, and oftentimes, there's not a perceived value or it's not worth it. Um, confusing guidelines, reluctance to participate, and many more. It's just, it all ties back to these human factors. But one of the biggest barriers is that we simply forget. So, I don't know if you're anything like me and our listeners, we've probably all blown through the yellow light and it was red before we made it all the way through. Fortunately, no oncoming traffic. So we go, phew, and then we forget about it. Or a worker trips over some debris and almost falls. In most cases, people first check to see if anybody saw them, right? Did the cop see me? Did anybody see me? And if I didn't, it just vanishes. And, and that's the funny thing about this is we've got so many near misses. We don't even think about them anymore. And that bottom part of the pyramid represents an incredible treasure trove for us to practice getting better at our habits, but only if we talk about them. 
that's the key to talk about him. And <laughs> when you think about the number of near misses and close calls we've all had in our lifetime, I I often joke at the workshops that you may not know the number. You could say easily it's a hundred thousand or a million, but really the the answer should be I just can't count that high. And so we don't know the number. It could be thousands, could be millions. And on a work site, say of two hundred people, um, it's kind of easy to imagine that there must be thousands of these little mishaps that happen every year. And if there are that many at work, there must be equal or greater numbers at home and even on the road. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there's value for us to explore these and talk about them, not report them, just discussion only to create awareness. We've been lucky and, and generate some motivation for us to improve our habits. So, you know, that goes back to this, the cert that we're all familiar with of just analyzing close calls, the value in discussing um, 99% of these little near misses is just for our own benefit. They are not SIF precursor events. They don't need organizational lessons learned. There's not engineering fixes. It's just lessons for us to learn. That feeds our internal learning loop and we get better at our own habits and fewer mistakes. But again, only if we talk about them. Yeah. A lot of our clients are actually embracing this tactic as well. And I, just recently in a public workshop, I've heard many um, of our customers actually say that they're using Safe Start as their climate tool or even some level of cultural reinforcement. Have you seen this? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in, in Safe Start, as I said, that was one of the biggest certs, right, is just analyzing close calls. And at Safe Start, we define culture as the way things are around here, how things happen around here. And it can be characterized as the personality of an organization, a complex blend of factors that are interconnected, one of which is safety. And culture can be really slow to change and evolve. On the other hand, climate is the way we think about safety or any other organizational um, elements within our organization at a certain point in time, or I like to say climate is the way things are around here today or right now. It's a snapshot of how, how important employees think it is to act safely while performing their jobs, especially when nobody's looking, right? And, and just like the mood or the weather, safety climate can change in a snap. And that's what I like so much about both Safe Start and Safe Lead is that it provides us with such effective climate tools in helping unlock what people do. Yeah, I appreciate that comment. I have actually made statements through Safe Lead, uh, very specifically in the identification of climate, is that if you want the climate to change for better long-term culture, you need to have people to actually get up and go to the thermostat to change it. So that change agent is so extremely important, but it can be used or focused if you change your focus um, on human factors. So these tools that you're talking about, they can help address our customers' concerns for safety, whether it's production or quality that might be top of mind for them, or even outside of safety, which you know we've been known to call performance errors. We kind of give rich detail in a very usable lexicon or even language that helps to demystify human performance. 
Yeah, Tim, I th- you know that that language or lexicon is so important. Uh, it it gives everybody the common language and and I think ultimately Safe Start works for organizations because it works for for workers, it works for people. Be it communicating safety to one another or the portability of Safe Start as you mentioned earlier at home and on the road, not to mention um, employees taken at home. And I was just at a site um they did they did Safe Start a couple of years ago, and and one of the senior leaders said that was the most impactful thing I ever did. I still use Safe Start with my now eighteen-year-old son almost every day. That was powerful for me. Well, that is powerful. I'm glad you brought that example up because for the young folks that are out there, and we're starting. To, <laughs> I don't know if it's age, Chris, or not, but I, I'm starting to see more and more of them. It feels like they're much, much younger now. <laughs> Um, they are. They're getting younger. Yeah, well, I won't generalize a generation. What I will say this, though, is that we've got some folks that, uh, like you and I, we went to the school of hard knocks, and we've learned the hard way. So, Chris, in the time we've got left, which is very short, let's talk a little bit about data. Sure. There's a lot of aspects to data collection. And of course, the easiest data to collect is lagging data. And there's a lot of it, safety, quality, production. In fact, most organizational systems have a heavy dose of measurement, rightly so. I guess the real trick is to determine which leading indicator data is going to help us increase performance. I think it's a bit of a juggling act to develop uh, or to balance data quantity versus quality and that's a challenge for all of us in a profession oh isn't it quality versus quantity because sometimes we just want more (laughs) yeah i was gonna say if we knew exactly what leading indicators would predicate or even prevent in terms of injuries we'd all be rich don't you think oh heck yes and you know while we know there's not a correlation between near misses and serious events back to Heinrich, there is a great deal of correlation between mistakes and human factors. And so best-in-class organizations are doing a better job in understanding the true um, SIF precursors to focus on enhancing the organizational learning loop while allowing the non-SIF little mistakes to fuel the individual learning loop. Um, And While we don't want to report on every one of those little near misses, we do want to track because we want to to start making it normal to talk about our mistakes and make it normal to talk about our own human factors on our personal performance. I agree, and that gets right back to climate. And so I'm picking up on what you said earlier. I, I encourage everyone to look for improvements in all traditional KPIs, and that's key performance indicators. Um, and if it involves humans, you should see improvement. Well, whether it's increases in production or quality or even decreases in scrap rates, those are just to name a few. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And, and as you know, some of our most successful Safe Start clients started tracking the correlation of human factors on scrap and rework, which was a startlingly high correlation. And in every, almost every organization I've been in, they will agree that there's like a 90 to 95% correlation between um, quality and performance errors. So once they start using the critical error reduction techniques or certs to address these errors, they get incredible measures of success and reduction 
reducing scrap and we work. We know our tools work really well. <laughs> yeah, yes, they do. Any other leading indicator data that you want to talk about that might be helpful to track? Well, one of the interesting things that's come out in SIF prevention is called verification of control audits. Keeping a deep dive into the control methods that are in place for tasks. And as I learned about this a couple of years ago and started tracking it in my own SIF investigations, a surprising amount of SIF events occur when only the lowest level on the hierarchy of control methods are in place. Oftentimes just admin or PPE, which mm -hmm. means that we are relying on individuals not to have a bad day, not to have um, sleep interruptions or a fight with their kids or whatever it may be. So other work worthwhile elements to track would be, you know, safety conversations, Gemba Walk recommendations, efforts to drive employee engagement measuring the climate of open communication, all really worthwhile, although it can be very difficult data to track. I think it's important for organizations to evaluate their data collection on a regular basis and say, is this giving us the information we need to get better? Sometimes it's hard to give up those legacy programs that no longer provide value, right? Those golden elephants. Yeah, which a lot of people have a tendency to hold on to. And uh, well, that's a great way to end in terms of data. All of those things, gimbal walks, safety conversations, they're they're very valuable. And and that's another thing about just getting out of the office. You got to get out on the floor. You got to get around people, um, and you got to develop those soft skills to have those conversations. So very very good. Thank you so much, Chris. I, it was a pleasure to have your insights and be on the podcast today. Hey, thank you for having me, Tim. I appreciate it. You bet. So on behalf of Chris and the entire team with Safe Talk at Safe Start, we'd say thank you for sharing some of your time with us. Remember, please check out the entire white paper in the show notes. Until our paths cross again, I am Tim Page Botter for Safe Talk with Safe Start. We'll see you down the road.